0: This is episode 21 with cricket historian and writer, Gideon Hay. Welcome to the Process of Success podcast. My name is Tom Scullet. I'm a former professional cricketer with Middlesex County Cricket Club and the founder of Cricket Mentoring, an online cricket community that helps cricketers become their best. I created this podcast to share the personal stories, lessons and beliefs of cricketers of various ages and stages of success. Whether it's a retired test great, someone in the middle of their professional career or a young gun with big aspirations, I think there's so much power in each and every person's story and the lessons they've learned along the way that's got them to where they are. While I hope you enjoy listening to the interviews, I also hope you learn something from them to help you achieve great things both on and off the cricket field. Thanks a lot for listening, now let's get into this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by our digital academy, The Members' Pavilion. Having spent the past few years interacting with cricketers all over the world and hearing their struggles, we know what people are wanting and needing to learn to perform at their best consistently and have put it all in one place. The Members' Pavilion is your one-stop place to find content on every aspect of cricket, including all the skills, batting, fast-bowling, off-spin, leg-spin, wicket-keeping and fielding, as well as fitness, mindset and insights from some of the world's best players. The Members Pavilion houses all of our premium content and it's also where our community can interact and learn from each other and other like-minded cricketers from all over the world. So for more information or to become a member now, head to our website, cricketmentoring.com forward slash online cricket academy. I hope to see you inside soon, legend. G'day legends, welcome to this episode of The Process of Success. This episode is with someone who has a very interesting insight on the game of cricket. Gideon Haig is without doubt one of the most intelligent humans that I've ever spoken to and I was fascinated listening to his insight and views on the game. As one of the chief cricket writers for the Australian newspaper, Gideon watches international and domestic matches closely and combined with his background in things outside of cricket, is regarded as one of the best cricket pundits in the country. He is also frequently talking about the game on TV and is currently giving his expert views on Channel 7 during the test series between Australia and India. At 52 years old, he is still playing for his beloved South Yarra Cricket Club in the Victorian grade competition and therefore truly understands the game and the struggles that come with it as a player. As someone who has read and followed Gideon's insights for a while, I was very excited to chat to him and hear his views on the game. In this episode, we discussed how he got into playing cricket and how he's reinvented himself throughout his career, why he travels over an hour twice a week to play at his cricket club, why club cricket is important to the development of players, how some young players in the Australian system are burning out due to their workload, how technology has changed the game over the past 10 years The qualities needed to perform at the highest level. What traits the best leaders he's seen possess. What his advice is for any youngster wanting to pursue a career as a cricket journalist. Plus, a whole lot more. This was a truly fascinating chat with someone who looks at the game differently to most others. I'm sure you'll be enthralled, just as I was, by Gideon's articulate answers and depth of knowledge of Australian cricket. So let's get into this episode. G'day, legends. Welcome to this episode of the Process of Success podcast. I'm very lucky to um, have cricket historian and journalist Gideon Haig here with me today. Gideon, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Hello, legends.
0: <laughs> that's how we address our audience here. Yeah? Uh, they're known as legends. But... Are they
2: legends in prospect or legends in uh, in reality?
0: Uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But well, that's how we like to call our okay. Audience, legends. Okay. Right. Um, now. Gideon, like I do with all of our guests, I like to take Mm. them back to how they first got into cricket. Okay. Now, what is your earliest memory of cricket? Uh,
2: My earliest memory of cricket would probably be looking over my father's shoulder as he watched a test match in around about 1971 on the television, on a black and white television, and asking my mother, what's Dad looking at? And she said, oh, it's cricket some people find that interesting but to me it's just completely boring so i thought well that sort of piqued my um my youthful curiosity because i you know sort of thought of myself as sort of even at that age as being sort of discerning and interesting and interested in new experiences and new layers and complicated things so i thought hmm, this could be challenging but my my mother and father were divorced not long afterwards and i sort of stumbled into cricket Around about 1974, when I just started to read the sport pages of the newspapers, started to see it on television, started to... There was a captivating Ashes series on in Australia that summer with sort of larger-than-life characters, and uh, and it introduced you also to the antiquity of the Ashes. You got a strong sense of the continuity of the game as well as the, uh, the evolution of new personalities. And I began to sort of collect cricket books, because I was quite a bookish child. Uh, bought my first cricket book, which was the Cricketer Annual of 1974-05, every page of which I think I still have photographic recall of, and ended up finding my way to a local cricket club, St James Presbyterian uh, Under 12 Bs. There were no Cs. Uh, it was, you know, entry-level cricket. But I immediately kind of was transfixed by the game, I think because it was so so unlike other games, acquired Courage, it required uh, unselfishness. Uh, it required determination. Uh, it, it seemed to have interesting, be interestingly, analogous to, to human life. I think even then, I, I detected that in cricket, which didn't necessarily emerge naturally from other sports.
0: And had you played other sports at that stage?
2: Not really. No, I was, you know, i sort of sort of puny child, and uh, you know, sort of always with my nose in a book. But the great thing about cricket was that uh, it wasn't just the playing experience, it was the reading experience, it was the imaginative experience, it was the watching experience. This really was a game that you could partake of in all sorts of different forms. And you know, it was a game that could become a way of life for you.
0: Absolutely. Mm. It's become a good way of life for you in your yeah, life. Yeah, life. But yeah. Now, back in those days, um, how did your career develop? Did you sort of get quite good or did you ever have aspirations to play at a sort of a high level or was it just something really. you
2: did? Not really, it was something I did and something I enjoyed and uh, I think I pretty soon worked out that I wasn't going to rise to, uh, t- to the very top, but I could be proficient and I could develop different skills, I could sort of establish specialist roles, like I quickly became an opening batsman for instance, because there was a, always a dearth of opening batsmen at junior level and I quite liked the technical challenges of it. I've quite liked facing fast bowling, it was stimulating uh, and I was I felt like I could be of service to other players by forming a sort of a protective bulwark for uh, for, for others.
0: Excellent, and now you're still involved in the game, you're still obviously still? writing, but you're still playing?
2: I am, still opening the batting, uh, but I've done all sorts of things along the way. You know, it's the great thing about playing cricket at sort of park level, which I've done since the age of nine, is that you periodically kind of reinvent yourself. When I joined my current club 25 years ago I decided I'd be an off spinner uh, and bat down the list so I did that for a while. Uh, Then there was a vacancy opened up at the top of the order so I went up to opening the batting then a couple of years ago I decided that well look it's my last opportunity to to bowl fast. I think I might take the new ball I might spend a winter lengthening my run and see if I can bowl seam up so about three years ago I became an opening bowler. Uh, but this summer, because there's been a lack of opening batsmen, I've gone back to opening the banning again.
0: A real utility player. But it's, but it's, you know,
2: but there's always a gap, isn't there, it, it, at, at our level. And it's often about the person who puts their hand up to, uh, to take the opportunity.
0: So any wicketkeeping at all? That's
2: one thing I've tried in the nets, but I've just found far too daunting. It is much, much more difficult than it looks. I mean, look, all cricket is much, much more difficult than it looks. And I think it's a it's a salutary experience for a, someone who writes about cricket to go back regularly and to re- be reminded of just how difficult it is, how fine the line is between success and failure, how injurious failure, even at lower levels, can be to one's own self possession, one one's own self image, and how satisfying can, success can be, both individual and uh, and team.
0: I find that ex- yeah on a personal level as well with my coaching and mentoring younger yeah. players and then playing on the weekend I find that I'm going through the same sort of yeah. struggles and yeah. and issues that I'm teaching the younger players sure. it's, it's very sort of challenging at times but also rewarding to sort of yes. pass on what I'm learning because yeah. I certainly haven't mastered it no. at all either
2: and it's a game with a lot of waiting and a lot of time to think and sometimes you can overthink but sometimes you can second, you can second guess yourself uh, it's, it's knowing when to make changes and when not to make changes that I think can be the difference between a good player and a great player. Absolutely, hmm. and
0: we'll get onto to that in a bit more detail hmm. um, a little bit later. But um, who have been some of the more interesting and prominent players that you've played with in your club at South Yarra? Oh,
2: played with? <laughs> there haven't been too many prominent ones. I mean, Andrew Walton, who you know, who's, who's brought us together today, was my captain coach for, for some years and a thoroughly good man and uh, a good cricketer. And, you know, a personal friend is uh, uh, constantly admiring Andrew's capacity to be stimulated by the game, to find some new thing about it that, uh, that hasn't occurred to him before and to, and to want to discuss it. Uh, but I've, uh, you know, going down to my club on a Tuesday or a Thursday night is very important to me because I work at home and I live on my own and it's very important to get out of my head. So the practicality of getting on public transport with my cricket bag, going to training, is a a vital and and valued interruption. Part of me feels almost slightly sorry for professional cricketers, that they have to go to it as a livelihood. I fear sometimes for them that they lose that recreational aspect of the game, that sense of playing it for for pure enjoyment. It it can become a very... um, uh, pressured and, uh, and, and hectic lifestyle uh, n- certainly not a, a, a dream come true. I would never have wanted to earn a livelihood from cricket I think I would long ago have stopped enjoying it. I think even if I'd simply written about the game, the game might simply have become a source of, of uh, income for me but as it is I'm constantly reminded that it is a game that's fundamentally about being enjoyed, it's about good fellowship.
0: When I was um Trialling. I was yeah. playing with a lot of freedom and a lot of fun yeah, yeah, and as yeah. soon as I got my contract yes. I then had something to lose yes. and it became different yes. and I'm sure many many other cricketers have gone through the same thing when you sort of have nothing to lose you play for enjoyment and then when you've got something to lose it does change how you play and how you enjoy it.
2: The funny thing is that even at lower levels of the game you do feel pressure and you do feel disappointment uh, and I was talking to to some cricketers the other night, some cricketers who had been quite good but who had drifted back to club level. They said, no matter what the level of the game, it is psychologically quite an arduous game. You very seldom enjoy the contest so much as having been in the contest. a little bit like Dorothy Parker's remark about writing. It's hateful to write, but it's lovely having written. I figured everything out for myself. You know, the, the coach that I had was television. I watched TV and I modelled myself on players that I saw on TV. Who did you model
1: yourself on?
2: Uh, growing up, I, I'm born in England, um, so I uh, so I tended to take English role models. My father was from Yorkshire. I felt a weird affinity for Jeff Boycott okay. uh, because he seemed to be contrary and um, and obdurate and. Uh, self-sufficient and I thought they were, they were quite good qualities in a cricketer or so I thought at the time. I've changed my view probably since then. Uh, I, I identified also with, um, with Chris Taveray when he came to Australia in 82-3 in the sense that he seemed like a fish out of water here. He seemed like a player who was struggling to come to terms with an alien and hostile environment which is sometimes the way in which I felt myself in relation to, uh, t- to the world. These weren't simply ideas that I had about cricket. They were ideas that I had about the way in which one lived one's one's life. Mm. Uh, but there were players that whose sort of technical things I sort of borrowed. I was a great sort of jackdaw who picked up shiny things and adopted little you know, things about backlift and things about forward defensive or. Uh, When I bowl off spin, I sort of watch certain off spinners and picked up things from from them. Once again, usually through television, because television gave you such a fantastic view, such an intimate view of a a player's technique. Mm. Um, I love. I have always loved mucking around with technique, perhaps sometimes to my detriment. Um, infinitely suggest, well, I see something and I think, oh, I might have a go at that. Like I muck around with my guard or muck around with the way in which I pick up my bat. Uh, and sometimes that's, because it doesn't really matter all that much, it's just interesting to feel how different the game can feel in terms of a, of a minor adjustment.
0: When you say it doesn't matter that much, why is well, that? Well,
2: because I'm, you know, not playing for sheep stations, but... Uh, you know, I'll fiddle around in the nets about you know should I battle on I battled on middle and off last season but I've moved back to middle this this season I've taken um, adopted a new trigger movement this season it hasn't quite worked out but I'm interested in experimenting with it and I think the whole ethos of, of coaching has changed over the last 20 years Uh With individuals, because there are more of them, fewer, more coaches to to fewer players. They want to feel as though they have a measurable impact. Particularly if they're an ex-player, an ex-player no longer has the gratification of their own performances. Uh, They, in some respects, they live out their experiences vicariously, and they partake in a partial way of the success of their charges, and they feel disproportionately disappointed when those charges don't do well.
0: Fascinating. Mm. So, on that, do you
2: think ex-players make good coaches in general? I think some of them do. I, I mean, this is this is not an original thought, but uh, but you know, I've heard it expressed by others that great players don't necessarily make great coaches because the game has come too naturally to them, mm. and one of their gifts has been you know, an ability to radically simplify what they do. Mm. They find lesser gifted players much more difficult to identify with and their, yeah. their struggles to, uh, t- to unravel. Mm. Uh, I'm just trying to think, uh, who, have, who have been the really successful coaches in, in cricket? Uh, I'm struggling to think of a pantheon of coaches who have been verifiably successful everywhere they've gone. In some respects, coaching is about a weird sort of admixture, a combination of player, circumstance conditions, country, culture and individual that can't necessarily be automatically replicated elsewhere. Mm.
0: You need all the elements to sort of come together. You do,
2: yeah. yeah. And no one can really predict it. No one can really predict how personalities will gel until they do.
0: Mm. What I'm finding amazing, um, or very interesting I suppose, is my conversations with Bucky, who's a very good friend of mine, and he's the coach up at the National Performance Mm. Centre, and through what he's doing and then what I'm doing with Cricket Mentoring, having conversations almost on a daily basis yes. and probably it's 50-50 I'd say with technical yes with what we're learning or what we're seeing yeah. but also communication yes how important communicating with people yeah. is yes he um had to do something with the um the group he's in charge of in Adelaide at the moment and he sort of asked my opinion or my advice right. on how to approach the situation from a communication point right. of view and and something that I've really started to realize is how important communication right. in coaching is yes
2: yeah, I mean, I think one, it seems Chris's father, John, who's a who's a who's a mate of mine, he was a teacher, and I think over the journey, a lot of successful coaches in Australia have been teachers, have come from an educational background. Uh, just they understand young people, they have an intuition for what kind of messages stick and what kind of messages uh, pass by, and they just have a general sort of good teachers have a general human sympathy. It's funny that as coaching has become more specialised, perhaps we've over-accented the technical and on-field accomplishment to the capacity to impart wisdom. I think the other thing that we haven't done particularly well in coaching in Australia is we haven't taught players how to learn. We're very obsessed with teaching, but we're not so cognisant of learning. How is a player meant to approach the profusion of coaching advice that they nowadays receive? Because a young player, a young elite player, will go through multiple, multiple hands in the course of their career, even over the course of a season. What messages are they meant to take on? What messages are they simply meant to consider? What messages should they feel free to reject?
0: Well, on that note, I, um, I was speaking to Scott Muellman yesterday, mm. who's Mitch Marsh's batting coach, and he said... Mitch has been feeling quite confused. Yeah, I'm sure. He's been yeah, through so many. Yes, things. yeah, he, yeah. He's sort of Scotty. He's his coach, and he trusts, yes. and Scotty and he have developed a great relationship, yes. and they've spent a fair bit of time working on his yeah. game. And now he's with Vogesey at WA. Yes. and There's a few other coaches there, and then he's got JL at, in Australia and yes. the Australian team, and he's got Graham Hick. And he said he's getting multiple opinions, yeah. and he's he's such a good bloke that he's yes. trying to keep yeah, everyone yeah, 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 happy, yeah, and he yeah. sort of feels like he just needs to go back to. what worked and so for young and that's a a sort of quite an experienced cricketer in the Australian team so for younger guys who are going through rep cricket, grade cricket and whatever, it is a skill in itself I suppose to understand how to deal with that.
2: Yes yeah I guess that the most valuable coaches are the ones who've known us over the longest time who've been able to follow who know something about our background, something about our story, something about the way in which our technique has developed, something about the things that routinely go wrong with technique, something about the things that, that you need to be reminded of. Jeff Boycott had this coach that he went back to, a guy called John Lawrence, and he used to go back to him at the start of every season, and Lawrence would just check to see how Boycott compared to the previous year. Because he obviously had a technique that worked um, for him, but sometimes the force of competition changes in his sort of physical makeup as he, as he got older, um, uh, his recent run of form and his level of confidence, those were the things that kind of changed and he just needed a few words to set him on the right path again. And boycott was... As technically proficient and diligent a player as you could possibly have, but even he needed an external mm. set of eyes.
0: And Kevin Peterson has spoken about that in the video. Yeah, about Graham Ford. Going back yeah, to Graham Ford. Yes. And after two or three balls, he said, yes. You're not getting your head over your butt. Yeah, front, yeah. Or yes. And it's just that eye that knows yes. your, you well and yes. your game well that puts you back on track. Yes, yeah. Um, so, what do you see as um, important in developing young players in this current environment of cricket that we live in?
2: Look, it's it's easy for uh, it's diff- it's difficult for me to make uh, arguments from the from the point of view of a of a technical expert because I'm not a technical expert by any means. I'm interested in technique, but I'm by no means expert. I haven't succeeded at the, at the at the top level. But I guess the thing that we have been reminded of lately, and which has been on my mind for for some years, is we just need to make them into good people. We need to make them into good men and women. Uh, and to remind them that the game is there to be enjoyed, that it shouldn't, it's, it's a means to enjoyment, it's not an end in, its, in itself, uh, and that there are all sorts of satisfactions that one is, um, that one can find in the game that aren't merely related to the performance of a, of, of a day earlier. And I guess I, I fear sometimes that we're just not equipping players to, do anything outside the game to have any existence beyond their day-to-day performances. Mm. Uh, once again, it's a case of expenditure of many income. We've got the capacity to create a, uh, um, a system that can consume them from, from cradle to grave 24 hours a day, but we run the risk of um, of destroying their enjoyment of the game at the same time. Uh, it was interesting, I was having a chat to a parent recently, a former first-class player, who's got a, who's got a boy in the in the pathway system at the moment, and he had been getting his kind of program from the, from the National Cricket Centre over the, over the off-season, uh, the, the various kind of technical hurdles and the various physical um, uh, targets that he, that he had to fix and the, the workloads that he had to follow and the, the weights that he had to lift and the 2K time trials and the skin folds that he had to meet. And he hit the start of the season and he was exhausted. And he said, Dad, I need to take a break. I'm sick of cricket and i thought that's a terrible indictment of the of the system if we're actually in the process of regimenting cricket like this ceasing to make it an enjoyable activity absolutely mm. so it
0: should be that's every single cricketer gets into the game because they and yeah. falls in love with the game yes. because they enjoy it yeah. and then maybe when you start to love it you think maybe one day I could yeah, play professionally yeah, yeah. and somewhere along the way you lose that enjoyment mm. and, um, mm. and that's something that we're big on with cricket mentoring is is we, one of our sort of catchphrases or mottos is Helping people come, become their best on and off the field. Yes. I think you've got to make, sort of help people become yeah. the best they can be yes. off the field as well. Yeah. Um,
2: Do we disapprove? Do you, does the system disapprove of players who are perceived to enjoy themselves too much? I mean, Buck's an interesting example, isn't he? You know, he took a long time to get to the top, but he always says that he enjoyed himself along the way, that he never lost that capacity to enjoy himself. And in fact, in his, you know, in his international career, he actually found it quite arduous and needed to to make time to get away from the game. Mm. He's very interesting on, this, on mm. this subject. Perhaps he would feel differently if he hadn't had the experience of getting that last minute opportunity, mm. that 11th hour opportunity to play cricket for Australia. That kind of vindicated the approach that, that mm. he'd taken uh, and maybe sort of wore away some of the bitterness that he might otherwise have accrued. But he always seemed to me to have a very sane perspective on the importance of the game, even though he loved it dearly, and he thrived on its challenges. Mm.
0: And, and young athletes these days, young cricketers, I think that, they, like you say, they can get so consumed on performance yeah. and, and everything that comes with being professional and playing that they don't have anything yeah. outside of cricket. And when yeah. their cricket's not going well, yes. their life's not going yes. well. And I think that it really should be encouraged yeah. for cricketers or athlete, any athlete to go and find a passion or something yes. outside of the game that makes them level and yes. also gives them perspective. Yeah,
2: but I know that, you know, from talking to professional cricketers, or cricketers trying to make their way, that's easier said than done. Uh, and sometimes when you're doing something else, when you're trying to find that external passion, or you're studying or you're performing some other form of recreation, you can feel as though you're cheating yourself. You're not dedicating yourself 100% to your... The goal which everyone says you you have to achieve mm. and i've known even quite intelligent cricketers to, to feel that way to feel as though i'm doing this for the sake of going through the motions of doing something else but what i really should be doing is getting more volume
0: mm. and again it comes back to each personality yeah. some people can do that and some yeah. people need to just be full on yes um, but, we do,
2: but we don't but we don't adjust do we the system is a one-size-fits-all system yeah. that demands the body of the cricketer um, on equal, every cricketer on equal terms. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking to players, talking to some players who play at first class level, the length of the pre-season that they're now undergoing and the obligations of that pre-season, the regimentation of that pre-season when you're not in the nets, you're at the gym, you're in meetings. Yeah, it just, if anything could be calculated to dull a cricketer's competitive edge, it would be that idea of having a completely structured day. Frankly, you choose cricket because it does have these long periods of of waiting. Mm. It does have these peaks and troughs and periods away and and very intense periods in. You don't choose cricket because it's like football, where the player walks in on Monday morning to his football club and his week is structured. You know, he's got a home base to to go to. Mm. we sometimes seem to be forgetting what makes cricket attractive in the first place. And maybe the people who run cricket don't like it enough.
0: Mm, mm. Maybe it would be an interesting sort of case study to see if a coach of a professional yeah. team allowed their players to say, this is our eight, this is our three-month training yeah, period. Yeah. You come and go as yes. you please. You do what you need. Yeah. And let's see what sort of results we get and see... If you're feeling flat one day there's no guilt in not going yeah, to training yeah because i know that a lot of players there's optional training yes sessions yes and guys might not want to go but no. they feel they have to yes yeah yeah they they get judged if they mm, don't yes i think it'd be fascinating to see and whether it would happen one day mm. or not i imagine it will at some point yeah but a sort of out of the box thinking coach goes um, all right, um, Marcus Harris. If you yeah. don't want to train in the preseason yeah. for three months because you think you would need to go to Europe yeah. to get away yeah, from yeah, the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's see yeah. how you perform yeah. on the field. And if you, that, that works best for you, so be it. And you might have but, a.
2: But what's the coach doing in the meantime? Is the um, is the is the chief executive of the state association going? Doesn't seem to be anyone at training.
0: No, that's why everyone <laughs> would have to buy into it, and that's yeah. where what all the books I've read or listened to about. Um, Winning environments yeah. and sporting teams—it's—it's it's a whole, not the coach doing yes. one thing. Everyone's on the same page, yes. buying into the same sort of yeah, idea, yeah. I suppose. Yeah,
2: but I'm also reminded of that remark of Keynes's about um, about it is better to fail conventionally than to succeed unconventionally. Yeah. When people succeed unconventionally, other people get very threatened.
0: Mm. Mm. And so it would take some strong personalities, I suppose, yeah. or secure people, yeah, to do it. Yes. Whether it happens or not, one day we'll yeah. see. But It'd be worth uh, seeing. Um, Now, what qualities do you think people need to be able to perform at the highest level? Obviously, you're here for the Test match at the moment. You're going to be watching it closely. Yes. You've followed cricket for a long time. What other qualities as people do you think cricketers need?
2: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, even the best players fail. Even the best players fall short. Uh. You know, Virat Kohli, great player as he is. Last time he played against Australia in India in 2017, he seemed to have an excess of the qualities that we're now praising him for. You know, that extreme intensity, that extreme competitiveness. I texted George Bailey a few weeks ago. Um, George had been having a terrible run in the Shield. Uh, I follow the Shield scores closely, and I follow the players that I like closely, and I was a bit worried about him. And that was the week that he that he quit as as Tasmanian skipper. I texted him saying, you know, you know, good luck. You know, I'm sorry to hear that you're in bad form. And he actually texted back and said, you know, I actually feel OK. I feel all right. You know, I feel as though it's not far away. I'm looking forward to not captaining. I'm looking forward to the next game. I thought, that's a strong personality who's capable of doing that, who's capable of just cutting off the past and rationalising it and looking forward to tomorrow. Mm. I guess that's the kind of thing that a player with his experience can do. And with George, of course, he's not sort of just short of Australian selection anymore, you know, he doesn't have to worry about his next performance in, in terms of endearing himself to the, to the national selectors. But players' ability to handle failure, because cricket will give you much, much more failure in your career than it will success. You know, those, those peaks of success are relatively isolated, more often than not you'll be performing in a middling fashion and some days the game will feel in, entirely wretched. That's a, that's, it's challenging to do that in a team environment, to fail in front of your fellows and to have to put the best face on that, to go out with them in the evening, to mm. recreate among them and partake of, of other people's success and, mm. and enjoy that. Uh, that's something that we don't talk about very much in, in cricket, but it is absolutely fundamental to mm. cricket, the fact that we get immediately measurable estimation of our success and failure. And it doesn't matter to the scorebook that you nicked a good one. It doesn't matter that you got a brilliant catch or a bad decision decision. and it also doesn't matter at the same time whether you got a bit lucky. You know, Marcus Harris um, got 250, that sort of beat his path into the Australian team. I watched a bit of that innings. He played and missed a lot early. He was dropped at 90, a very easy catch. But he turned it into a big score, you know, good for him, you've got to seize those opportunities when they come along but boy oh boy that line between success and failure.
0: Absolutely and another another point that I wanted to just bring up from what you were saying before mm. is about I think it's, it's such a skill or it's such a thing young players need to try and learn is to be very level as people yes, yes. regardless of their results. Yes. I, I lived with Sam Robson who played a handful of yeah, tests yeah, in England. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I learned from Sam was not to get too high when things right. are going well and right. not to get too low. You're in here on the Monday is what matters. You're yes. getting your process right, yeah. you're working hard at your game, and the results will look after themselves in the long yes. term. But it's such a hard thing to do, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Alistair Cook is a player who I just loved watching. I learned a lot from him. I remember watching him walk across Lords before the Test Match of 2015, walking from the, from the nursery across to the, the pavilion. And he he walked at this incredibly level pace. Just he wasn't hurrying, but he wasn't he wasn't dragging his feet at the same time. He stopped off to chat to I think it might have been Graham Swan. They exchanged a joke. He walked past the middle, he stopped to talk to the curator, he talked to some of the ground staff. There was no sort of airs and graces about him. And he just carried on all the way across. And I thought that is a man leading his life. At a test match pace, he's directed, but he's not hurried, and he carries he carried that same air of of not being flustered at the crease, even when he was out of form, mm-hmm. even when he wasn't making making runs. Coming back from the Perth Test last season, where he failed, and he was in he was in looked in really um, ordinary form. I saw him on the plane, and I, then I saw him at the baggage carousel afterwards. He was travelling with his family, with his wife and with her, with his wife and kids he just looked really settled he looked really content he looked really assured he was sort of gathering up his kids and gathering up his luggage and just once again moving in a hurried pace had a smile for for everyone very understated no sort of very unassuming i thought boy if you can carry yourself under these circumstances they'd lost the ashes by by that point and cook was under a lot of pressure and and later confessed to having acute doubts about his ability to, to, to come back. But somehow if you'd been around him you would never have known. And perhaps that was his way of convincing himself mm. that that he was still um in control.
0: Mm. Well, I sometimes have questioned whether sort of what I refer to as David Warner's belief yeah. is them convincing themselves yeah, that they're not sure, far off. It. Sure. And no doubt it is. Our self talk mm. is really important. We yes. don't want to be telling ourselves, no no I'm not playing well, yeah. we've got to try and manage that self-talk and on that note, how we've talked a bit about technical but how important do you think the mental skills in cricket are and I suppose why isn't it really spoken about or emphasised yeah. as much in junior cricket?
2: Look it's different strokes for different folks, you know there are certain players who do not want to think about the game and who are best off just doing it intuitively. There are some players who need to go through a process of mental reasoning to convince themselves that they're in form. There are others who need to get away from the game completely. There there are others who need need to prepare intensely. I guess at junior levels of the game, players haven't quite decided what kind of player they're going to be, but it's pretty clear that there is something sort of special and unique about those players who, who do make it. There is something qualitatively different about them. It's like, you know, Scott Fitzgerald's line about the rich: the rich are not like you and I. They're they're different. The great players are different. On oh, no, the the very proficient players are different. The the player that I've known best and with whom I'm a friend is Ed Cowan. I've known Ed for you know more than ten years and before, during, and after his uh, his Test career. Now Ed is a very uh, highly intelligent, very thoughtful, very courteous, uh, very poised man who. Um, who conducts himself with, with, with great dignity and, uh, and, and confidence. E- extremely reasonable, very modest um, in, in all respects, but about his cricket there was always, I could detect under the surface a certain steel about him when he talked about the game, when he talked about challenges, when he talked about opponents, when he talked about matches. He always sounded underneath, he had this quiet confidence that he was going to succeed and I used to look at him and think well that's something I've never had as a player I've always been suffused with doubts I've always been incredibly gloomy after failure I've always been incredibly negative in in the way in which I've approached every game and I've been moment occasionally I've been surprised by by success and I've never taken particularly satisfaction in it because I always knew that failure was around the corner it was different it was different. It wasn't a great player by any means, but he got the most out of himself by just that, that inner core of, of strength. That's uh, as close as I've come to seeing how a, how a really good player operates, mm. and it was very instructive.
0: Mm. Interesting. Yeah, and everyone's different, but I suppose the very best. Have some sort of like fight or some sort yeah. of grit that yes. in the contest. Yes. No matter whether they're playing well or not, in form or out of form, they just are up for the battle. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a break from Gideon for a minute and go back to our last episode with young gun WA batsman Josh Philippi. And were you always a wicket-keeper batsman, or were you sort of a fast bowl that turned into a bat, or how did your, your sort of I skills think, progress? I think I tried absolutely everything. Um, Dad always wanted me to be a keeper because he thought, you know, that, that's a really good thing. Not many kids want to do it these days. So I always, always kept, but I used to bowl leg spin, off spin, seamers. So I wanted to do it, did it all. all yeah. But um, yeah, I managed to ended up going down the keeping path. At what age was that? When did you decide keeping is what you want to do, and you sort of really enjoyed keeping and being heavily involved in the game? Uh, probably when district cricket started, um, that sort of became my spot in the team so I decided to work a bit harder on it and um, yeah, I started to join it a bit more and, um, and yeah, I thought that was, that was going to get me selected in teams. And so when you, you mentioned they're getting selected, so from a young age and obviously your parents, good pedigree, played for WA, did you think I want to play a professional cricketer, this is something I want to do or was it just about enjoying the game at that age? I think it was always something I wanted to do. Like I love the game, and, and I always used to used to talk it up. And I was a youngster that I wanted to play for Australia, so it was it was definitely a dream. Now let's get back to Gideon. Um, what traits do you think the best leaders possess that you've seen?
2: Well, I mean, look, you know, I've played under lots of captains, and frankly, at my level of cricket, you know, it's about turning up on time you correct know, incorrect attire and bringing afternoon tea, so <laughs> you don't actually need to do much to, uh, to, to become a successful captain at, uh, at, at grade level. I think what what impresses me about leaders in, in, uh, in walks of life where I've worked, I mean, editors, editors who I've worked with, editors are among the most unselfish people of all, the best of them, because
1: their names don't achieve any great prominence and they're all
2: about making other people look good. And the best editors of a... I've had have always kind of placed themselves at the service of others. They've been um, very self-effacing, and they've taken satisfaction in a in a collective effort. And I think that has really stood out to me. When you when you've come across individuals like that, they do distinguish themselves very obviously, and they do get the best out of people. They don't manage upwards; they manage downwards. Uh, they take a pastoral interest in. Um, in their, in their underlings, they get to know them as people, uh, they understand that people are at different levels of development, they don't sort of set a level of mandatory standards that, that everyone has to observe, except in a kind of a, a sort of a moral sense. Uh, they're looking at their relative state of development and they're judging them against that. They're flexible thinkers, um, if you like, mm. and they're able to take satisfaction in little achievements. Little achievements where someone outdoes what they've, what they've done previously. Mm. They notice small things and they draw the individual's attention to those small things. You just, you just did that thing successfully which you weren't able to do yesterday. Um, that's, I, you know, I had very good mentors in journalism when I was younger who were capable of doing that, who probably persuaded me with, uh, that I was a little bit better than I was, mm. uh, and that meant a lot to me at a, at, a, at a young and impressionable stage of my writing career.
0: Mm. Awesome, and that's what I suppose good mentors do, is they probably reassure people when they just aren't sure themselves sometimes, and and that really gets the most out of themselves. Well, you're
2: not even conscious of the mentoring. Mm. They they convince you that you did that, that you didn't actually need their help. They eliminate themselves from the process, and you only kind of retrospectively realise how much Mm. they contributed to it.
0: Mm. Now, you've mentioned the editors and the the, the, uh, mentoring you had when you Mm. were starting out, but... How did you, when and how did you get into cricket riding?
2: Well, I joined the age in 1984 out of school. Uh, I just, you know, did a, applied for a cadetship and got it. I was 18. I wanted to leave home. I was keen to, to do something rather than go to university. So I went to the age, got sent to the business section, wrote in the business section for about five or six years. Then I went overseas and worked as a stringer. Um, a business stringer in, um, in London and while I was there I started to write about cricket because I was in a cricket playing country uh, my hours were flexible I got the opportunity to go and watch quite a lot of county cricket which I enjoyed watching I, um, I reported on a few test matches back for the age there was an England New Zealand series and an England India series that summer which I which I went to I got accreditation for I just sort of it's not that I'd always wanted to write about cricket Uh, and in fact in some respects if I'd never written about cricket it wouldn't have meant anything about my enjoyment or or love of the game I I come to cricket chiefly as a a player and a watcher uh, that just so happens to to write about the game now but I found as though I had, I didn't necessarily have things to say but there was things that I wanted to hear said that perhaps weren't being said by other writers. I, I wanted to do a kind of a writing that was Something that I myself would, would like to read. And there sort of weren't maybe the cricket writers around at that time who were writing about it exactly as I wanted to to be written about. It sounds a bit pretentious that way, but but I, I wanted to apply my intellect to, to cricket writing and I wanted to study the game at different levels. I didn't want to study simply the game that had taken place the year before. I was interested in the individuals, I was interested in the history, I was interested in the economics, I was interested in the politics. To me cricket writing just had so many different layers that you could, that you could um, access, that you could, you could study it through, so many different prisms. Uh, it really was, you were as limited as your own imagination. And ever since then, I've tried to write about cricket in as many different ways as I possibly can. Uh, And I've also written about other things at the same time. I've written about um, uh, several business books. I've written several books about social policy. I've written books about uh, the arts. I've written books about... um, I've written corporate histories. Uh, I've sort of... I've tried to have a career where I've known a lot about a little and a little about a lot. Mm. And cricket's been the thing that I've known a lot about, um, and it's a tiny little niche subject, let, me, let it forget, it's a, it's a relatively small game, it's a relatively small pursuit as, as pursuits go, but it's infinitely interesting, and I'm satisfied that there are things about it that I'm still to learn, and that I'll know at the end of this test match that I, that I don't know now.
0: Mm. Well, let me just take this moment and say well done on everything Thanks. you've done, Thanks. and also thank you my mother is a big fan, and she used to always say "Oh, she loved your work, loved your writing, so she'll be very pleased to hear that I'm, I'm chatting with you today. So but take this moment to say thank you very much for everything you've done and, and the insights you share, because they are fascinating and they are different to most other mm. writers. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Tom. No, thanks, I appreciate it. So, but you, you travel the world, you're watching cricket and mm. writing about cricket, and it's something that um, a lot of our young players and fans watching mm. and listening would love to do. Yeah. Um, What advice would you have for a young cricket lover who might want to pursue a career in cricket writing?
2: My advice to everyone wanting to pursue a career in writing is to read, is to read as copiously and as broadly and as eclectically as you possibly can and to read closely, um, to read with a blue pen in your hand so that you could mark the passages that you like where you think that a writer has achieved a certain effect, where you think that a writer has expressed something successfully and ponder how the writer has gone about doing that.
0: On that note, how do you sort of see, oh, you've brought a book here, but do you have value in audio books or Kindles or are you more about the...
2: am no, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a great, I'm a, you know, I've got about, when I moved out of my house in 2012 to renovate it, the... Uh, the storage people said that I had five tons of books. Uh, so and I've only added to it then I've probably added another three tons. You know, I'm reading I read a lot, I'm reading all the time, but I'm trying to read in a practical way. I don't actually often read recreationally. Mm-hmm. If I wanna if I read, I want to learn something about A the subject, but B also writing. I want to read across a range of things. Um, I'm often you know, highly influenced by what I'm reading at the, at the time uh, or something that I've read in the, in the, in the distant past. If you sort of read my writing very closely, you'd probably detect all sorts of weird echoes uh, and themes that I go back to and, uh, and ideas that, uh, that, that I explore. But reading is what distinguishes a writer. You know, whenever a writer comes to me and says, you know, I want to be a writer, I say, what are you reading right now? Are you reading constructively? Are you reading the right things? Are you reading in a concentrated and and directed way? And often they look at me in a sort of puzzled way. They think that your writing is all about just sitting down at the at the laptop and churning it out, but it's not like that at all. Mm. Um, lots got to go in before something worthwhile will come out.
0: Well, I suppose that's how you learn as a as a writer is yeah. by consuming that understanding yeah. and knowledge. Yeah. And would you do you have any sort of good books that come to mind for any young cricketers? Not not necessarily cricket books but anything, yeah. life experience or anything like that that you would recommend? Obviously mm. younger people might not yeah. be on the same sort of um, level of intellect as you but well, what, sort of, what sort of books or any titles you can recommend?
2: Well I mean they're, they're probably not cricket books. Mm. Um, I, I, I read some books sort of inspiration periodically but although they're not sort of inspirational books there's a book that i read every year it's called in search of churchill by martin gilbert martin gilbert was the official biographer of winston churchill published the life in 11 volumes over the course of about 30 years and it's about how he did it how he researched the life and how he draw conclusions from the facts that passed through his hands and i'm someone who takes raw material, the raw material of fact, and turns it into a set of ideas and a set of principles, and the rigour with which Gilbert interrogated the material and the diligence with which he accumulated it, and the fastidiousness with which which he went about forming his opinions by balancing evidence on on both sides. I go back to it again and again because I think, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, look how hard he worked to do this. This is a reminder of just how hard it is to do the job well. And I finished the book and I think, yeah, yeah. This is is what I want to do with my life. This Mm. is something really worthwhile. Uh, This is something that you can dedicate yourself to. Mm. And something that you can feel as though you're doing better year on year, month on month, even week on week. Mm.
0: Interesting, interesting. So it's all applicable to you.
2: For sure, for sure. I mean, I you know, often read him because I you know, haven't read a particular writer before. I'm always conscious of needing to backfill. You know, that's a writer, I. he's important, I should I should read him. I'm reading Hugh Kingsmill today, a collection of Hugh Gill, Kingsmill's literary criticism, which I bought for 25 cents. The, the idea of buying something for 25 cents and finding something worthwhile in it is appealing to me as well. Uh, he's terrific, actually, a terrific writer. Um, but I'm... Um, Reading because I'm, not necessarily because I'm going to be writing about cricket, but because I'm going to be writing over the next few days. I want to get myself into the right sort of headspace to be writing. Mm. Um, it's
0: Like a cricketer going to the nets?
2: Like a cricketer going to the nets, yeah. Before the game.
0: Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Now, just you've been very generous with your time. We're going to wrap up shortly, but final few questions. and Back to the cricket field. Where, where is technology starting to shape cricket in your eyes? Um, there's been some, some great mm. advances in technology yes. over the last few years and you being a close cricket watcher, yeah, how do yeah, you see yeah. technology now and how do you see technology moving into cricket further in the future?
2: It's a good question, it's a good question. I mean the, I mean, the clearest change has been in bat technology hasn't it? The bats are so much better than they were 10 years ago and I experience that at club level now. Um, I just, I, reg- I almost regret having you know used such ordinary equipment for my entire career. In some respects, maybe they've, maybe they've made the game too easy. Maybe batsmen have become so absorbed in the ability to achieve levels of power that uh, they think they can kind of hit their way out of trouble and that the game's all about the quality of the contact you're making, mm. uh, rather than the ability to kind of bat when conditions are against you. Mm. Maybe we've become so conditioned to this idea of we have to feel good when we're batting, that we find it difficult to cope with feeling bad because mm. sometimes well actually the best cricket that you play that the the characteristic cricket that you play will be that that takes place out of your comfort zone when you're actually straining against the limits of mm. your ability
0: and finding a way when it's yeah. not working yes
2: yeah i think sometimes we're inclined to overestimate the importance of feeling confident going in sometimes you actually need to feel a little bit uncomfortable in order to explore Uh, the limits of your your abilities. The other thing that's become technologically much important is the monitoring of the the generation of data. Uh, And we monitor players' sort of physical and mental well-being almost obsessively now, in addition to their on-field performances. Mm. Uh, I sometimes question just how significant that data is, whether we're simply collecting it for the sake of of Mm. collecting it. Are we actually learning anything from it? I mean, clearly at, at, at some level, um, uh, it's important that players are accountable to a wealthy professional system. But cricketers thrive, are the best cricketers have thrived in an environment of freedom and experimentation. Are we actually, have we become too controlling of cricketers? Are we just not letting them be their, their own people?
0: Well, I know that Cricket Australia has their AMS, their Athletic yeah, Management System, yeah. and the players, the young players, have to log things, yes. like how much water they've drunk, how they have yeah, feeling yeah, on yeah. that day, and this and that and the other. And sometimes the players I've spoken to have said, oh, I can't be bothered, this is draining, mm, and yeah, it's like almost yeah. contributing to their yes, fatigue. Yeah, yeah. And obviously Cricket Australia wants to have an overall picture on how they are, Mm, yeah, but maybe it's too much. Mm.
1: Well,
2: buck, buck. Was, buck was trying to convince me the other day that the AMS was a boon for cricket and I uh, know I'll be watching this so I just wanted to register with you well, Buck that sure I was listening is. to I'm, you, I'm sure I am was paying attention. Opinions.
0: I'm not saying it's all negative, I'm mm. just saying that's what I've heard from yeah. some people. Um, now, a couple of questions from mm. our good friend Andrew, um, Andrew Wilson. How much fun at the time was writing the book The Vincibles?
2: I mean, The Vincibles, for those who don't know, is a book that I wrote about my club in uh, the season of 2001 2 And it, it came about because I, when I went to England in 2001 to write for The Guardian, I got to the end of the summer and The Guardian said, would you like to become our Australian cricket writer? And I said, well, actually, I like playing too much. I don't really want a tour. Uh, I, I, my Saturdays are important to me. And the, the sports editor said, well, why don't you write a column about your club? yeah okay all right, I'll do that. The, col- the column was called A Lot of Hard Yarra and uh, so I sort of did it for The Guardian and by the end of the summer I'd accumulated enough pieces to, uh, to, to put the book together the interesting thing was that I worried at the time whether the act of observing uh, and recording would make a difference to people's behaviour. I didn't want people at the club to do things for the sake of having it written about mm. in a book uh, so I, you know, I sought my committee's permission to do it and I did it in a very low-key fashion. I, mean, I was writing for a newspaper on the other side of the world, it was, they weren't reading what, uh, what I was writing anyway. But I didn't want things to change and it's one of the reasons why I haven't gone back to do it again. Because I'm a little bit worried about turning my club into sort of a vehicle for my own kind of aggrandisement or my own gratification. Uh, to me, it's much more important at the club to be just another cricketer. Mm. It pleased me when I'd, I'd been there for about five or six years, and the guy was giving me a lift home one night, and he said, You know, it's funny you having the same name as that cricket journalist. I thought, Excellent.
0: Wow. Excellent. Well, Gideon, that's amazing. I think we, I probably sit on the very opposite end of that <laughs> spectrum because I do a vlog for YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And I bring my camera, and I've got my video on the today, down to training. Right and capture what I'm right. doing. And I often right. wear a microphone that you've got right. today right. while I coach. Right. And and I often have the boys saying, Come on, get me on the story, get me on the <laughs> they want, we've, we've gathered a reasonable mm, yeah. size following yeah. that um, everyone wants their own part. Yeah, right. sort of okay. yeah. So I'm certainly not doing it low key and I actually uh. played a twenty twenty match on the weekend where right. I wore a microphone as oh I played. My god. And some I, I, I sought the permission of my teammates and said then not have an issue if I do this. And the boys are loving it, and like like yeah, you right, say, right. they probably are acting differently. Yeah, but they were loving getting involved, yeah. and trying to get in yeah. the camera and yeah. speak in the microphone and stuff. So I'm, I'm very much at the opposite end.
2: Well, I'm not on Twitter, you know, and you'll, you know, if you ever see me on Twitter, you'll know that it's over because yeah, I always right. get to technology about one generation late.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so I'm, yeah, my vlog is, uh, as yeah, really mm. evolved over the last eighteen yeah. months or so. But it's I'm also coming. not very
2: good with technology, as you can see from my phone.
0: But all, all you am sure you need is a mm. laptop, and then you send yeah, your, your message that's to the it. world, which is which is excellent. Now, this is another question from Andrew Wilson. Yeah. If you were captain, where would you back Glenn Maxwell in the order?
2: Good question. Very good question. I was because I would certainly like to have him in. I've always been a big Maxi fan. Uh, probably about him six. I think that's where he would, where his gifts are naturally attuned at international level, but I think he should probably bat four for, for Victoria. That would give him a better opportunity to, to press his case. Uh, I would certainly like to see him get the opportunity to play a test match in Australia. Mm-hmm. I think it's iniquitous that he's never played in front of his own audiences when we know that basically every player internationally these days has a much better home record than they do an, an away record. and but I, but I worry about the degree of trust that there is in people whose opinions matter mm. in Australian cricket and whether he'll get a fair go.
0: Mm. Time will tell, I guess. Yes. Time will tell. Now, final couple of questions, which I ask all of our guests. What is your definition of success?
2: <sighs> it's difficult because uh, I often feel like I've failed in what I do, I mean I, I set myself very high standards in my, in my writing, not quite so high standards in my cricket, I, I can't afford to have those uh, but I often f- finish pieces having felt as though they didn't quite work out the way that I hoped and I certainly finish books always feeling as though it didn't quite come off, I'll have to do another book in order to apply all the lessons that I learned from the failure of the, of, of the last book. So I mark myself very hard, and I, uh, I don't want to f- feel too successful. I need to, that sort of burr under the saddle to, to keep myself uh, wanting to get better. Uh, that's a constant challenge for, for a writer because uh, basically in newspapers, they're pretty much happy if you file on time and to, and to length, and... There's sort of no great jury of your of your peers looking over your shoulder and and evaluating whether this piece is better than the day before. Uh, And you know, the the worst, the best and the worst moment of of every day for a a cricket journalist, or at least in my experience, is the minute that you press the send button. Because that's the minute that you realise, oh, that's the thing that I should have said, and it's now too late for me to say. Oh well, I'll just add that to the store of things that I might say somewhere down the track. So I don't, I don't feel particularly successful on a day-to-day basis. So I'm not sure that I entirely recognise what those sensations are, are like. Success for me at the Yarra's though, at my club, which is very dear to me, has been about the sensation of walking on the field on a Saturday or a Sunday, and knowing that because I've been on the, involved in the administration of the club for so long and I've been part of the furniture for, for 25 years, is the satisfaction I get from feeling as though I helped to make it happen. That I, even if I don't succeed today, even if I don't make runs or take wickets. I contributed something to the making of this culture, and it's a good culture. It's a it's a happy culture. It's a it's a reinforcing culture. It's a friendly and inclusive culture. That gives me enormous pleasure, and to see how the club has grown over time, uh, to see the different personalities kind of contribute to the common wheel, uh, that's just that's given me more satisfaction in cricket than anything I've achieved as a player or as a or as a writer.
0: Wow. Well, I think every club would, would do well with having someone yeah, like you yeah. involved and um, South Sierra are very lucky to have you involved by the sounds of it.
2: Well I've been very lucky to find that club, you know. You know yourself, it's very rare to find a really good club and you don't quit that club on a whim, mm. you know, if you, if you find a good club. yeah. You know, I travel an hour and a half on public transport to get to training on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And sometimes when I put my cricket bag on my shoulder and get myself on a crowded tram, I think, couldn't I have found a club that was a little bit closer to me, or couldn't I have found a game that didn't involve so much heavy equipment? But then I get down there and within five minutes I'm, the weight of the world is off my shoulders and it just, I've got a smile on my face and with friends and playing a game that I love.
0: Awesome. And I love that age is no barrier. For sure. Age is no barrier. Hey, I'm... I won't pl- reveal your age, but... Well, I'm, no,
2: I'm 52, but um, but frankly I've got players that I'm playing with who are over 70, who are still going around, who are still going on nows, uh, who know the limitations, and succeed. Mm. And succeed, despite um, age and, and decrepitude, and love it. And love it because they are belying the things that they're being told they can't do
0: Mm. Mm, absolutely so finally which i ask everyone is why do you play cricket
2: why do i play cricket well a because i've always played it Um, and it's the longest kind of continuous extra familial thread in my life Uh, it's the thing that i've done every summer i have i've made so much of an intellectual and emotional investment in it now that uh I would find it difficult to turn my back on, on the game. I, I could stop writing tomorrow and I wouldn't feel any particular regret. Uh, and that's not a bad feeling for a writer to have, that you could walk away tomorrow and, and um, the game would still be something that, that, that mattered to you. And they all make the choice to do this thing together uh, when they could be doing something easier or more instantly gratifying or more fun, or uh, sexier, or richer, or... uh, I love the fact that we all kind of get down to cricket on Saturday or Tuesday and Thursday and we kind of prostrate ourselves at the altar of the game. We don't know what's going to happen that day. Uh, We know that we could fail, we know that we could be disappointed, but we do it to ourselves again and again, because there is pleasure in the contest, there is pleasure in the achievement, there is pleasure simply in the, in the participation and the, and the fellowship. Um, I find the, sporting, the environment of a sporting club to be more equal, more open, more egalitarian um, and more progressive than virtually any other institution in Australian life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ask people these days about their relationship to, to institutions financial institutions, political institutions, religious institutions, uh, financial institutions, religious institutions. Everyone feels as though they're kind of dwarfed by those systems and what they do in those contexts can make no difference. But if you walk into a sporting club, you feel as though you could put your shoulder to the wheel and you can make it a better place. Mm. Where else do you get that?
0: Very good point. Mm. Thank you so much for your time, Gideon. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear you, your views and, and your story. Gideon, thank you very much. My pleasure, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, legends, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Gideon. Gideon is incredibly well-respected for what he does. Every piece of work that he produces has exceptional depth and insight to it, and as a reader, we always see the game from another point of view. It was fascinating to hear how passionate Gideon is about his local cricket club and the enjoyment he gets from being a part of making the club function so well. If you haven't done so already, make sure you check out Gideon's work as I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. If you enjoyed this episode or learnt something, then please share it with your friends and on your social media pages. Remember to tag me at Skulls5 as I'd love to hear your thoughts. We've also put the video of this chat on our YouTube channel, Cricket Mentoring, So head over there if you want to watch it and please subscribe to our channel if you haven't done so already. Thanks for spending your time with me for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and learnt something from it. Now it's time to go out and get it done, legends.